Welcome to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. Pastor Andy Oliver is our Bible teacher and expositor. Today's message is from Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2, preparing for the task. Please take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. When we begin a great task, Greg, I'm going to pick on you. He is moving his business. It is a a great task. Uh, A lot of equipment, a lot of tools, a lot of a lot of things that need to be dealt with, and you have to keep track of all the, the bits and pieces as you're going from one place to another. Uh, when we start a great project, home improvement project, it is, we, we've had a lot of those this past, this past year and a half or so. Uh, we've been stuck at home, and so we, we go to the hard, we, lumber is going through the roof. Holy smokes. But, uh, here's the question. Do we prepare first? Do we plan? Uh, I dare say that most of us at one time or another have started a project only to find that we don't have the right tools or maybe not enough material uh, or even the wrong materials. Uh, it's, it's almost a joke. All right, huh? got to go to McClendon's again. Oh, got to go a third time. Uh, maybe even a fourth. Maybe we lock the skills and we just got to get some help. We get ourselves into, into, into trouble. Uh, my, my, uh, my mother-in-law used to hide the tools from my father-in-law. Because he would he would start a project and then he'd make such a mess of it that he'd have to call somebody to, to get him out of the hole that he dug for himself. We earnestly begin a task and then find out that we have bitten off more than we, we could chew. Repeated trips to the hardware store, phone calls, checking out YouTube, how is this done, uh, all these different things. And too often the project is is never completed or not completed properly. Because of a failure in planning. I've seen some smiles, mostly from the ladies, uh, nodding their heads and giving elbows to the guys. Nehemiah, in our text, has been praying, as we saw last week, for four months. He has been burdened about the situation there in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt a generation or two before, a long time before, before he was born. They had been allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And it seems to indicate from uh, the readings of Ezra and so on that there, and what we have here in the beginning of chapter, uh, chapter one, that there had been an effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but had been stopped and even undone. And he had been praying for four months regarding that situation. I mentioned that sometime during the course of that four, I don't think it was right off the bat. But I think it was sometime during the course of that four months, the little light bulb appeared over his head. And it's like, oh, maybe it's me. And uh, he began to think about different ways to fix the problem. And I think Nehemiah realized that he was the one that was in a position to do something about it. And that he probably would end up being the tool that God would, to use, would use to accomplish the thing that he had been, been praying for. Now, a lot of us, if we are praying, if we're burdened about something, we're praying for it. If we get close to that situation where we begin to realize, wait a minute, I've been praying for, for this and this and this, and I've been praying the Lord would, would take care of this. And, 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 you know, really, I think that maybe I could do that. And it might be something small, relatively small. It might require a change of everything. Uh, I pray uh, every week for uh, for a fellow who was uh, had his own roofing business in Oregon, and did that for now quite a few years, and he, he had a good business, and now he's a missionary in West Africa, 
He hadn't planned on it. But uh, he was really burdened for, for West Africa and worked out, and, and he fought against going himself. I'll pray. I'll pray, but I won't go. And God got his attention. How do you do that? He fell off a roof. <laughs> uh, and, and during the recuperative time, there was some thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe I ought to follow through on that, uh, that thing. The need was there for Nehemiah. The city of Jerusalem needed walls to protect the inhabitants and the worshipers. That was the key thing from the hostile neighbors that uh, surrounded them. I believe that Nehemiah along the way had formulated a plan. And sometimes we do this. We look at something. We look at something maybe around our house or maybe something you notice in town. Say, man, this is what ought to be done. You look at this. Why are they doing it this way? It needs to be. They just need to take care of this and then this and, and, and this and it would all come together. And I can't believe they're doing this. Or, you know, you're helping a friend and, and, you, and you want to give them some counsel, but you're afraid they'll be offended. But really, bud, this is what you need to do. Just take care, do, do this. It'll be so much simpler. And uh, sometimes, by the way, they'll appreciate that. If it's given in the right spirit, they'll appreciate that because it's going to save them time and, and money. And if they get angry, they say, well, why don't you just do it? He said, I'd be happy to. And uh, sometimes in ministry, that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. I'd be happy to. Nehemiah has been praying for a number of months. I think that the wheels have been spinning. I think that various things have been going on in the back of his head. He's formulating a plan and envisioning what is necessary to bring about the rebuilding of the city. Maybe he's even written out some proposals and so on. That's It's very possible. He was a man with a plan and a mission, single-minded and focused. But how to do it? Because there are a couple of things that he has no control over that are required first. Now, we ended last week with the last verse of chapter 1. So let's go back a little bit. He'd been praying. This is a prayer. And he says in verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, Thy servant this day is referring to himself in that particular thing. And grant him mercy, grant me mercy in the sight of this man, this man being the king. For I was the king's cupbearer. I am the king's, it's more than the butler. Uh, I mentioned before that the Persian kings lived as as semi-recluses. It was too dangerous for them to have a, a lot of people having access to them. And, uh, like I said, half the kings of Persia probably died of, of assassination. And so to have somebody that was trustworthy close to them was a privileged position, which would also make what is going to happen here even more remarkable. Because if you finally find somebody that you can trust, who's doing a good job, who takes care of all the details, I want to hang on to this guy. I'm not real anxious to see him leave. But I was the king's cupbearer. I have access to the king. I have access to the guy that could say, well, let's just do this. Here's my signet. Stamp it on the document. You're ready to go. Here's the guy that could make all the, all the things ready to happen. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month Nisan. We could say Datsun, for those of you who are not to remember that. Okay, and that would be uh, in early spring, comparable to our March, April. Four months after he had started... He had heard the bad news back in November, December time, and uh, he'd been praying for four months. He'd been praying earnestly. 
He had confessed, and we dealt with this quite a bit last time. He dealt with praise. He dealt with confession. And he used two words that I had us repeat. He said, we and I. And we don't see anything really wrong with anything, anything out of line with Nehemiah in the whole book. We see a guy who is earnest in his service for the Lord, who is, who is doing the right thing at the right time. And yet he talks about the gross sin, the disobedience of the children of Israel, and he includes himself. And I mentioned the fact that we as Americans ought to be praying for our nation. Instead of finger pointing, we need to include ourselves because we dealt with a little bit of church history. And you don't have to go back very far to realize that the problem that we face in our nation is rooted in a failure of God's people of previous generations and uh, the current generation to do and be what we are supposed to do and be. So as we pray for our nation, as we pray for repentance, as we pray for revival, don't use them and they, use us and we and I. You know, there's some, some interesting answers to prayer that we see in the scripture. And sometimes answers to prayer come in funny ways. They come in remarkable ways. They come in ways that we would not foresee. They sometimes come through what we perceive to be setbacks and liabilities and difficulties and challenges that turn out after a little bit of time passing and some hindsight. Whoa, what a blessing. Verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. Uh, he took up the wine. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. The king likes to see cheerful faces. He's got enough stuff on his plate. He wants to have happy, cheerful, pleasant people around him. And uh, it could be a very dangerous thing to come before the king with red eyes and uh, maybe an expression on your face that indicates that there, you've been overwhelmed by some tragedy. He doesn't want to see it. You could lose your position. You could lose your life. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? For this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And Nehemiah's instant response was, I was very sore afraid. I am terrified. Because like I said, he could lose his job, which was a plum job. He had a fantastic position. But even more, it was a very dangerous thing. He could theoretically lose his life. The king has absolute authority. Here's the most remarkable thing. Have you ever been challenged on something and something like that? And all of a sudden you just blurt out, well, why shouldn't I? And just tell the whole thing. That's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah does this. He's very polite. He follows the protocols. He says, long live the king. But then he throws it all out there. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my, my father's sepulchers, their graves, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. I got a reason to be sad. Next two verses are remarkable. Now, he's been praying for four months. Somewhere during that time, I think he's been praying, I was the king's cupbearer. What can I do? Lord, work out the circumstances. Give me the courage to maybe even ask the king. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make thy request? The king is asking me what I want. He's turned it around. I come in. I didn't even realize that I was I was sad of face. He looks at me. It scares the daylights out of me when he says, you're sad. There's a little compassion on the part of this fellow. 
For what dost thou make that request? Here's, here, look at the last part of that verse. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I don't think he said, I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> I think he did one of these prayers that uh, maybe you and I have done from time to time. Oh, God, help me. Or, oh, this is it. One of those types of things. Because he'd been praying for four months. Day and night. Every day. He had been spending hours and hours and hours and hours over these months praying for this very thing. And now it's happened. Are you ever shocked when God answers your prayers? Are you ever surprised when God answers your prayers? Sometimes There, there are people in Scripture that are. All right, we, if we were to go to back to the book of Acts, Peter has been imprisoned. One of the other apostles has been executed. Peter is on death row awaiting execution, and the church is having an all-night prayer meeting for Peter. And an angel goes to the prison. The chains fall off of his hands. The angel smacks Peter says, Come with me. Grab your coat. Let's go. And they walk out of the prison. The doors open by themselves. He walks out of this gigantic, huge prison. The big iron gate swings open of its own accord. And he walks out, and the angel's gone. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, whoa, I've been sprung. And so he runs over to the place where they're having the all-night prayer meeting, knocks at the door, and a girl goes to the door. And Peter's been knocking on the door. He says, would you let me in? She recognizes his voice, and she runs and tells everybody, leaving him outside. <laughs> runs, runs, out, runs to tell everybody, hey, Peter's at the door. Your prayers have been answered. And they said, you're crazy. He's in prison. And they had a fight about it. They had a big argument. It's his angel. It can't be him. He's in prison. We're praying that he'll be released. And so in the meantime, Peter keeps, hey, 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 I'm out of here. And they go to the door, and it says they were astonished. Now, what was the all-prayer meeting, all-night prayer meeting about? Peter being released. And when it happens, <gasps> whoa, we never thought it would happen. Then why were you praying? We, we sometimes do that kind of thing. Four years ago, five years ago, where we were meeting as, as church, where we were meeting, we had a, for those of you who, most of you were there, we, we were having a hard time with where we were meeting before. It was just a headache and a half and had been for several years. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, over the years, we had looked at places to buy. We had looked at, I think it was 14, 13 or 14 places to buy. I mean, if you look at the back of the bulletin, we have, we have, some some change set aside so we can, you know, ideally buy a place eventually one of these days. And finally, we got basically an eviction notice. We've got to go through no fault of our own. And so we're like, oh man, what are we going to do? There's just no options. Well, I know we've looked at buying. Maybe we can find out someplace else to rent. And so looked, this, I think it was the same day or the day before this place became available. And we walked in. Yeah, this is it. Because this was so much better than where we had been before. This is wonderful. And especially for those of you who remember what that other place was like. Yes. Because when we took the, the boat, all in favor signify, aye! <laughs> all opposed? No, no, we're doing this. <laughs> no no negatives. We're, we're moving. Yeah! Woo! Do you know if we had stayed over there, how long we would have been shut down with the plague? See, the Lord knows the future and we don't. The headache turned out to be a double blessing because we've got this and we've been able to continue holding services. 
So we, we, we pray for things, and then we're in shock that God answers prayer. He sometimes doesn't do it the way we expect, the way we anticipate. But why are we so shocked and amazed when God answers prayer? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 4. Oh God, this is it. Help me. And I said to the king, and he, like I said, he's got it all laid out here because he's been thinking about it. He's been thinking about how this could be done. I said to the king, if it please the king, if thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto, unto me, the queen also sitting by him, probably saying, just, just, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? And it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. By the way, if you go through and read the whole book of Nehemiah and everything and piece it all together, he was gone for about 12 years. He says, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me. To the governors beyond the river, beyond the Euphrates, to the, to the west where I'm beheading. That they may convey me over until I come to Judah. Make sure that I don't have any troubles or difficulties in my journey. And a letter also unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gate of the palace, which appertaineth to the, to the house and for the, the wall of the city, for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. The king said, here you go, blank check, here you go, everything you asked for. Why are we surprised? God gives us what we need. Now, this doesn't mean we don't do anything. Nehemiah has been praying for four months, and he's, he's, he's got a plan. But why are we surprised when God brings everything together to bring about exactly what is needed? God often does extraordinary, extraordinary things, and we need to look for those things. And so we have the, the answer to the prayer as far as provision, as far as authority is concerned. And then Nehemiah goes. And it doesn't give a lot of details as far as uh, the journey is concerned. It says in verse 9, I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent letters to the army and horsemen with me, so he had uh, an armed entourage going with him. He's a high government official, you know. So I came to Jerusalem, and he was there for three days, just three days. And I rose in the night. Now, always try to envision this. We deal with a very different scenario today. Okay? In ancient times, all we have to do is go back 150 years. When it got dark at night, it was, guess what? Dark. Okay? No street lights. When it was dark, it was dark. So when he went out at night, it was so that he would not be observed. Just a couple of people that knew what he was doing. He went out at night so that he would not be observed, but so that he could check things out. Maybe there's enough moonlight, enough starlight for him to be able to get an idea of what was going on. He's there for three days, maybe keeping his eyes peeled during the daytime. Planning things. Goes out after he'd been there for three days. I and some few men with me, just enough, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So all this thing that he'd been praying for for the last four months, he has kept to himself other than letting the king know what he wanted to do. Nobody else knows. He shows up with this plan. For, for all anybody knows, this is just the latest governor being sent from the capital. But this guy is a God-fearing man with a plan and a benefit for the people that are there. He arises at night. And he says, there, there, uh, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I wrote about. So he's probably on a horse, 
maybe a donkey, but probably a horse. And he's going out, and there aren't a whole bunch of horses. He's got a few attendants with him. He's out there on the horse checking things out. And I went out by night by the, the gate of the valley before the dragon well to the dung port, the refuse port near the dump. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire, just like his brother had told him at the beginning of chapter 1. And I went to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook. So he probably left his, his horse with, the, with one of the attendants, and now he's, he's on foot. And I went up by night to the brook and viewed the wall and, and turned back and entered into the gate of the valley and so returned. I, I made my, my route, checked everything out, got a good idea of what's going on. Maybe I had a, had a guy with a clipboard writing things down for me. And I returned. Verse 16, And the rulers knew not whither I went nor what I did. Excuse me, I'm going out for an hour or two. And I want you and you and you and you guys, you can't say anything. And out he goes. I didn't tell anybody. What I did, neither had I uh, as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did or would be doing the work. I've got authorization. I've got a plan. And I have access to the materials. And now I've just scoped out the scene. Next morning, verse 17. Then I said unto them, probably had a meeting of, of the who's who there in Jerusalem. Now understand, at this point in time, you're going to find out as we get further into the book. At this point in time, very few people lived there in Jerusalem. It wasn't safe. You had the temple there. There were probably some uh, a courtyard there. And that was the only defenses were the walls around the courtyard. Everybody lived someplace else. They came there for the feasts and, and so on and for their sacrifices and so on there at the temple. But very few people, other than some of the officiating priests and, and uh, some of the, the helpers that were there, nobody else lived there. There was no, there were no defenses. There were no city walls. And so he's gathering the, the people that are there together. And he says, you see the distress that we are in. How that Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates thereof are burned with fire. The whole place, the whole place, other than that little spot on top of the hill where they built the temple and a few huts and other little houses around, the rest of it is a bunch of rubble from the, the ruination that had taken place over a hundred years before. It's still like, for the most part, it was when Nebuchadnezzar left town. The city has been destroyed, and mostly it's a bunch of rubble left from that destruction. You see what things are like. He says, come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Now, before he makes his proposal, he's got it all lined up. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's got a plan. He's going to do it. Now, when we look at what God would have us to do as individuals, I know this this text that I'm dealing with often deals with, we're going to go into a building program. That is not what I'm preaching this about. Although, who knows? But the Lord hasn't opened the door. I do pray for that, by the way. I've been praying for years, Lord. I'm fe- and we, I, number of the churches we fellowship with have been in rented facilities longer than we have. So, whatever God would have. If we ever have our own place, that's what I say. Lord, open doors. Give us exactly what we need, when we need it, where we need it. May we have the wherewithal to bring it about. And above all, Lord, may you be glorified in it. That we won't be in, I can't believe you did that. That we'd be able to rejoice and look back and see what God had done. When we're looking at this, when we look at the authority, 
Number one, biblical. Is what I'm wanting to do biblical? Does it fit within the parameters of what God says in the Bible? Is it in accord with God's word? Is it glorifying to God? Would it it honor the Lord to do this? Can we biblically justify doing what we're doing? Is there a reason for this? We, as God's children, are not to be pragmatic. I know that's how the world operates. Business models. We need to make sure that we understand this. Churches get messed up all the time doing this. Churches are not to operate on a business model. If we do that, the sky's the limit. We'll do whatever works. We become strictly pragmatic, and you've destroyed your purpose. You please God by doing God's work God's way. God gives us the instructions. Therefore, we go by what God has said. We are not to be pragmatic. The Bible is to be our sole rule for faith and practice. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, which means literally God breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What we are to, to believe and what we are to do. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Nehemiah's authority, we looked at the passage last time in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He had biblical authority to to do what he's doing. He also has civil authority. He has gained that. God has cleared away the red tape that is, is, I I, tell you what, I've got a friend in Utah. I've got a friend in Brazil. I've got a friend in Germany. I've got, uh, I've, I've got friends all over the place. And one of the things I pray for regarding their respective ministries is that God, in Michigan, that God would clear away the red tape. That the authorities would leave them alone. Would not put stumbling blocks and difficulties before them. And so often God does that in remarkable ways. It's just amazing what God does. And we have that with, uh, with Nehemiah. That God would supply. All right. If the government says I can, if I've got a, a biblical mandate to do it, then I need, how am I going to do it? I've got permission. I have God encouraging me, telling me what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be doing it. Now what? Remember I said that uh, if we're praying for something and then God may lay it on your heart to actually be part of the answer. I was sharing this with the, the fellows on Wednesday. Do you know that there are a great many more pastors, people in the ministry, over the age of 40 than there are under the age of 40? That does not bode well. We do not have anywhere near enough young men coming up through the ranks to fill the, the roles of pastoring churches here in the next five or ten years. They're not there. We have some men come, but just not nearly enough. Two primary reasons why this is the case. And it isn't necessarily what you would think. But one of them is, is, uh, is a moral problem. And I've shared this before. We have worldwide a huge problem with screens. Because the number one websites that people log into are pornography. Pornography gets a huge amount of the web traffic that's out there. And so many of these young men 
have at one time or another had trouble with pornography. And they feel that they have disqualified themselves from service. They may have a heart for the things of God, but I, I, I'm just ruined. I'm ruined goods. I, I can't be, I can't do this. Now, that's not something I can fix. I mean, you can tell people what they're supposed to be doing, and you can encourage all kinds of, you know, stopgap uh, ways to try to prevent that from happening. There, there's always a way around it. I have talked to, to, to the, to the wizards of technology, and they say, you know, there are some, some, some good filter devices like that, but there's always a way around it. Moral problem. Number two, this is something we can do something about. It's money. Money. Yes, money. You're 19 years old, 20 years old, 21 years old. You're a young man. And, uh, maybe you're in college or considering what you're going to do with your, edu- you know, what, what, what education you're going to pursue. What am I going to do with my life? And, uh, college is outrageously expensive. Guys graduate from, from school with, with debts of, you know, they're, 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 they're more pay, making more the payments for that than they would in a house payment. It's, it's just outrageous depending on what they're, they're, they're doing. If you study for the ministry, now granted, Bible colleges generally are a little cheaper, but not always. I've got a four-year degree. When I'm done, let's say I, and I'm not even considering grad school. I finished my four-year degree and I want to go into the ministry, but I've got a debt of $12,000, $15,000, whatever the case may be. On a youth pastor's salary, on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a pastor's salary, if I'm pastoring a church of 50 people, how am I going to pay my school bill? So what I do is I set aside the ministry and I work a secular job. And I may never ever get out of that and get back into the ministry. Then there's the guys who are trying to get through college and they're, they're, they just can't do it. Because it just costs, I'm, I'm, I'm working during the summer, I'm working part time trying to get through school and, 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 and I just can't finish. It's going to take me, you know, 11 years to get a, get a bachelor's degree. And I've known guys that have taken that long. And then if I want to do graduate work on top of that, which is, incur- which is something you really ought to do, at least one or two years. You don't have to get the degree, but it gets the basics down. That's even more. Is it any wonder? And that's number two. That's the number two. Now, number two, that's something we can do something about. Lord, raise up young men for the ministry. All right. How can I help? Well, that might involve reaching into your pocket. But, but you've been praying for that. And you can do something about it. How earnest are you in your prayers? You, ministry wise, I think we would be better off investing $20,000 in somebody's education than $200,000 in somebody's building. We don't have a building. And I could count off the churches here in the state of Washington that don't have their own buildings. But they do have a pastor. And you can have a church without a pastor. Or yeah, it's very hard to have a church without a pastor, but you don't have to have a building. We need money. We need material. If we're going to build a temple, going to build walls, going to build a city, we need timber. Jerusalem didn't have lumber resources nearby. They would have to come from quite a, far, quite a bit further north. There has to be stone, which could be uh, abundantly found locally, but it has to be chiseled and cut for use, squared off into blocks. And in ministry, there needs to be that meeting place, something rented, something owned. There needs to be wherewithal to pay the bills. There needs to be staffing and so forth. Musicians, pianos come in very handy. 
probably half the cost of this piano came from a couple who live overseas, who were never part of Grace Baptist Church and visited us, I think, three, maybe four times. But they made a major contribution for us to get this piano. We needed money. We needed a piano. And somebody thought, I can help. And Nehemiah was supplied with that military escort. He was given access to the resources for the stone, for the lumber. And as we will look at, he was given motivated workers. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Told them the whole story. As also the the king's words, which he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. It's all laid out. God has brought the pieces together. Let's get busy. Now, God has raised up Grace Baptist Church. I was talking to my wife. Next next Sunday will be the 22nd anniversary of the first service. Church didn't even have a name at that point. 22 years. We've never run out of money. We have always had a place to meet. We have always had a piano of sorts. Always had a pulpit. Always had a preacher, and it wasn't always me. God has always supplied. What does God want us to do? Well, I need to be praying. I need to be studying. I need to be giving. I need to be sharing the gospel with others. I need to be reaching out to those around me. And I need to be here myself. When we reach out to those about us, within the the parameters of the Scripture, there's a number of things we can do. Even under the present circumstances, a lot of things we can do. We can give out gospel tracts. You can invite people to come. You can invite. I had. I don't know if we still have some of these out on the table. I've got one here. You can invite people to tune in on Facebook or on YouTube or listen through our website. And the links are on our website. But invite people. You know, it's a fascinating thing. When we first started, the phone book was, 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 was the thing. You know, we got a generation now that doesn't know what it is. The, vast, the first number of years, people heard about us from word of mouth. They saw our banner, which is only up on Sundays, and they found us in the phone book. And these days, once in a while it's word of mouth, the vast majority of people hear about us because they went online. And most people who show up here for the first time, this isn't the first time they heard a service. They listen to us online two, three, four, sometimes a lot more times than that before they actually show up in person. Encourage people. Here, this, why don't you tune into our church, see, see what we're all about. You get a good idea of what a service is like. You can, and if you're willing, if, if people are willing, you can engage in a, in a home Bible study. There's all different kinds of ways that you can reach out to people. Befriend people. Take somebody out to coffee. Share, share your testimony with them. But we need to be reaching out to those about us. We don't exist just to exist. God has supplied us with all the, the tools needful. We have a, a room here. And I'm looking around. We, we have a decent crowd today. I've been, I've been really thrilled that we, how many people have been here uh, each Sunday for the last, <laughs> for a long time. But you know what? We, we could, we can get, we can get another 15 or 20 people in here. And we, we are working on getting some more chairs. And I'd like to fill those up too. So how, what am I doing to reach out to other people? Because it isn't just about growing Grace Baptist Church. It's what they're getting here. 
Are they getting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they being taught and instructed that they might be tools in God's hand to accomplish something else? But we are here to be light and salt. God has commissioned us to, for that, and God has given us, for the most part, the tools to do it. And your job is, frankly, on, on, on the same level as my job. My job is to teach you how to do what I'm supposed to be doing the rest of the week. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Let's go to, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. And he, referring to the Lord, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for what purpose? Next verse. For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. And then scratch the comma. The perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints for what purpose? For the work of the ministry. My job is to train you folks so that you can do the work of the ministry. The ministry does not... You don't go to the church, and that's my place where I, I have ministry. Ministry happens here. But ideally, ministry ought to be happening primarily once we leave. God has equipped us with a place to bring people so they can be taught and instructed. And God is equipping you so that you can do the work of the ministry. And if you have been here for any length of time... Folks, you, you, you're pretty well equipped, whether you realize it or not. Let us arise up and build, he says. William Carey, pioneer missionary, I talked to him about last week, said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will be my spokesman to a backslidden and wicked Israel? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. We live in a depraved, wicked culture that desperately needs the gospel message. Who will go? And it needs to be you and you and you and you and me. We need to be the tools, willing tools, in the hands of God. Heavenly Father, thank you. We look at the testimony of what will be done, the vision of one man in our text. And we will be looking at the next several weeks what one man's vision accomplished. Father, may we have a vision of what we can do. And what we can do, empowered by you, is without limit, other than what your word has to say. Father, may we be willing. May we pray, may we be prepared, and may we be willing. Father, thank you for this. And if there's somebody here today, this is totally outside of their, their view. They don't see this. They don't get this. They don't understand this. Father, we are eternal beings that must live someplace forever. And the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, provides us with heaven. And apart from that, there's hell. And Father, we have the message to rescue sinners from hell, that they might become your children. Father, may we have that as a motivation. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ or more about our ministry, please visit www.gracebaptistpuallop.org. Until next time, may you walk worthy of the Lord.